It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Happy to be here as uh, we get set to bring you closer and closer to the Christmas season, which means you must actually get gifts, if that, of course, applies. Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory, and the founder of the Atlas Organization, a consultancy focused on the rise of China and India, will be joining us. I got to get perspective on what's happening over there as we get closer to the Winter Olympics. Will NBC cover a minute of the controversy, the concentration camps, the steamrolling of Hong Kong, the threat of Taiwan? I hope so. They do have a news arm, you know. Uh, we'll discuss that and, of course, take your phone calls. If you'd rather write, go to BrianKillMe.com. And you could just uh, click on contacts and you could just put it into it. You go to my email over in the Yahoo. So that'll be great. The other thing, if uh, you want to see me tonight, I hope you come out to Dallas-Fort Worth. If you're in the vicinity, I'll be there on Thursday and then be jetting over. You know, I'll be in Tyler, Texas, and then in Longview. And uh, hopefully you'll go to BrianKillMe.com and see exactly where I'll be because they need you to register in this pandemic era. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Communist Party has celebrated its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. And, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll make you bet we last longer. <laughs> I can't say that in China. <laughs> they probably are listening anyway. Yeah, and he had to apologize. Jamie Dimon, American business, are selling their soul. And how they're, just for a dollar, and for some shareholders, how their abhorrent human rights record has more nations joining our diplomatic Olympic boycott. That's the story. Number two. What about private businesses? Private businesses, no. And I'll tell you the reason why. If there's 100 employees or more, and that's all it affects, they've done something right. And I don't think the government has to make every decision for the private sector. You know, you've been doing quite well without it. This guy makes more sense every day, Senator Joe Manchin. Mandate mania. Even some Dems, two in particular, are beginning to sober up to the realities of Biden breaking his word on the vaccine mandates is costing people their jobs. And as predicted, they are now coming for your kids. Plus the Omicron scare tactic further fuels distrust with the masses. Number one. Keeping New Yorkers safe, bringing the city back. That's the mission. Recovery for all of us. Now, we are one of the safest places in America right now when it comes to COVID. And we are also, as we have been for a long, long time, the safest big city in America. Coming from a guy who's surrounded by security guards, not for a guy that watched a Christmas tree burn to the ground, not for a guy that while watching countless people tossed onto the tracks on subways, not from a guy who has seen home invasions take place uh, through uh, this whole pandemic, the crime crisis, sponsored by progressives like the one you just heard, the sub-sponsor, the, the squad, the piloted by Joe Biden, is affecting every major city in America. You commit the crime and you do not do the time, plus defaming and defunding the cops. You combine them and you got chaos. That's what we got. We have details of the downfall with brand new bloody murder, bloody murder numbers. How I only hope the Dems pay the price of the ballot box. Not for common sense Democrats like Eric Adams seems to be. Not saying that. I'm hoping... 
party has nothing to do with what I said, but it's only Democrats who are allowing this cashless bail system to take place. And it's only Democrats. Not one Republican I have ever met has talked about doing anything but bolstering the police. Bad cops are bad cops, just like bad insurance agents are bad insurance agents. Both shouldn't last long in their jobs. Meanwhile, in U.S. cities, record numbers of homicides in 2021. Listen to this. Philadelphia, 523. The previous mark, 500 in 1990. Indianapolis, 246. The previous mark, the previous year, uh, 215. Columbus, Ohio, 186. Previous mark, the year before, 178. Louisville, Kentucky, 188. The other high mark, 2020, 173. Uh, Baton Rouge, 157. Albuquerque, New Mexico, 103. Tucson, 88. All these numbers are record highs for those cities. Is that unbelievable? Rochester, New York. Oh, hell's breaking loose in Frederick Douglass's old place. 79. Uh, 69 in 1991 was the second highest. Now, you factor that in along with this. Uh, the police research forum released these numbers. They found the retirement rates among police departments nationwide jumped 45%. From 2020 to 2021, another 18% of officers have resigned. Not a good combination. Mark Thiessen weighed in on this and what's happening with Mayor de Blasio, calling New York one of the safest cities. Cut to. The only reason that New York's numbers look good is in comparison to the to the rest of the country because you've had 22 major cities in America that have seen murder rates go up. Twelve of those cities broke records, and uh, the, their previous records, and five of them talked records that they had set last year. And New York... It held steady. It actually went down 0.5%, so virtually unchanged. But last year, the murder rate was up 57%. So Mayor de Blasio is taking credit for maintaining the disastrous murder rate of 2020 and thinks that he should be praised for that. He's so clueless. He wants to run for governor. Now he has mandates for all businesses. He knows it's unimplementable. He knows he's got four days left when it was supposed to take place. It is a total, according to the Eric Adams camp, the future mayor, a total F you to him, to his camp, because he can't do it. And the word is that Adams is going to just use your, he says, he's going to use the honor system. Everyone get vaccinated. That's called every day. As I said, I got it. I'm vaccinated, but I do not want to mandate it. I think I don't think it's I don't think that's the American thing to do. I just don't. Uh, and now they have come in for your kids. Don't go to theater. Don't go to the movies. Don't go to the restaurants. If your five year old is not vaccinated, they are about to implement that. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, 3000 miles away, George Gascon is getting recalled. We hope there's a movement underway to try to do it again. He's blasted his tone deaf during his press conference because the crime rates he's taken a bow for. Uh, are actually skyrocketing. He goes, Gascon, surrounded by several colleagues from other states Wednesday, defended his policies amid a second recall attempt. The guy's an embarrassment to the country, put there by the funds of George Soros. And what has happened? Nobody's safe. James Craig, former police chief of Detroit, last night talking about de Blasio and people like Gascon failing. Cut nine. The core responsibility of a governor, a mayor, a police chief is to keep people safe. He has failed miserably. And then you got Mayor Lightfoot out in Chicago. What does she say? She's blaming the retailers. (laughs) Let me tell you, I was in uh, Chicago uh, several months ago, and she says they need better security. I went in their so-called Miracle Mile. Mm. There were off-duty cops in every main store. Some of the stores still with windows covered. It's ridiculous. It's not the retailers, what it is, it's the mayor, she's a failure, the New York mail's a failure, and thank God there's a new mayor coming in 
hopefully he understands his role. Yeah. He's got to keep the city safe. And it's not possible right now with the gangs going crazy. And I hope James Craig, who becomes the next governor of, of Michigan, uh, going against Whitmer, who changed her tune on mandates. Get this. She's now saying uh, mandates are a little hard, and we're t- trying to tell President Biden they're very hard to enforce. No kidding. And stressful. Here's the quote. We're an employer, too. The state of Michigan is. I know if the mandate happens, we're going to lose some state employees. That's why I haven't proposed a mandate in the state level. Some states have. We have not. We're waiting to see what happens in court. By the way, courts are backing up me. But we have a lot of the same concerns that you just voiced, and it's going to be a problem for all of us. Sounded a lot like Governor DeSantis. Am I correct? The guy that won by one point, and I think is about to win re-election by about 50 points and be uh, queued up if Donald Trump doesn't run to run for president. So where are we at right now with the mandates? First on crime, before I go. I don't want to focus too much on Fox. I never do. We're a national show. I don't even want to focus too much on New York, even though it is maybe the most famous city and the most sought-after destination in the country. Uh, But I don't back it up. It got terrible leadership. So one day after that Christmas tree was burned to the ground and our security had to tackle this guy to the ground in a matter of minutes, the arsonist who did it, was freed after his arraignment Wednesday because his charges were not eligible for bail under these new bail reform laws. I didn't do it, he shouted. Even though he was caught doing it, we got him on camera. He claimed his uh, reporters outside uh, Manhattan Criminal Court after being asked about the early morning arson that caused $500,000 in damage. So we're rebuilding the Christmas tree. Got it? We're going to do another show, cut into the five, fine. But bottom line is, this is a such a learning moment If you are a Democrat or Republican, I don't want to hear it. This is right and wrong. When I go out and I'm talking about the president of Freedom Fighter, I take questions. And after we start talking about history, we start talking about the country. And I'm not even talking about Democrat or Republican. Right and wrong. You cannot let this guy out in the street. He's got two priors. And they're going over video now. He tried to, it looks like, do the same thing to the Rockefeller Center tree. So when we relight this tree tonight... Who's saying this guy is not going to be there at the ceremony and try to do it again? Not kidding. So the mandate many is another thing that I think is important. The bottom of the hour, I'm going to talk China, but I want to talk a little bit about China here. And there's a couple of reasons why. Because it's bad enough when China uses their forces, their business, uh, their trade in order to stop us, build military bases in the Atlantic side of Africa, build military bases in the United Arab Emirates, try to use the Belt and Road Program to struggling co- uh, countries, and then when they can't make the payment, take over the infrastructure that they built. But it's terrible what's happening with big business. So, all right, Jamie Dimon, he's a much-heralded CEO, feels as though they now can bring investment firms to China. So to make money and make money for his shareholders, he is bringing it there, knowing that they're going to take his intellectual property and that they're suffocating free speech. They have have millions of Uyghurs, Muslim Uyghurs, in concentration camps where they're harvesting their organs. It doesn't seem to bother him. Here's him joking around November 22nd, cut 21. The Communist Party is celebrating its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, I'll ma- and I'll make you bet we last longer. <laughs> I can't say that in China. <laughs> they probably are listening anyway. Yeah, they are, and he apologized. He goes on in August, downplaying the economic threat from China. It's really no big deal. It's only in everything we do. Cut 22. Again, you got to take a deep breath, okay? China is surrounded by Japan, the Koreas, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, they Pakistan, may acquire Taiwan. Pakistan, India, Russia, it's a tough part of the world. 
They've never been expansionary. And so we're quite cautious. We're quite careful. I understand all your concerns. I just am not quite breathless about you. And, you know, they, they pay, we pay like checkers. We want to make a quick move every day. You know, they play like chess, and they make one move every, you know, every two years. They're far more patient. So what does that mean? By the way, Vietnam and Pakistan are not a threat to them. They never have been a threat. He's just going through the globe. Uh, the Koreas, really? Is North Korea a threat to Japan? It basically prop them up, excuse me, to uh, China and Japan? Japan has no defense since World War II. They're the ones who want to get back at Japan. Uh, more like chess and checkers. That's exactly my point, Jamie Dimon. They're playing the long game against us. They look us, at us as a threat. Ray Dalio, maybe the world's premier investor, wrote a book. Maybe we'll have him on. He is heavily invested in China, right? So when asked about this, listen to his explanation. Cut 23. And then I look at the United States and I say, well, what's going on in the United States? And should I not invest in the United States because other things and not our own human rights issues or other things? You know. So he's, com- he's comparing America and maybe the George Floyd situation with what China's doing, where they just jailed Jack Ma, they disappeared a 35-year-old tennis superstar, where they just took over Hong Kong and broke an international treaty, where they had 27 overflights last weekend, are banging the, uh, the, the war drums on Taiwan, where they're trying, as I just said, with the Belt and Road program, take over the free world and still stealing our technology on a daily basis. You compare that to some civil unrest here? Cut 24. What they have is an autocratic system. Um, and um, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism. In China, it's an extension of the family. And as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent. Exactly. As a family member, a cousin, I would like to shave your head, give you one outfit, and put you in a concentration camp and make you make Nike sneakers. And by the way, if we need a liver or a kidney, we will just take it. Like every family. What is with this guy? Now, listen, I'm the most pro-business guy in the world. If you can make money, you should do it. But you should somehow, at his level, knowing that you're not working paycheck to paycheck, explain to your investors there's certain things we're not going to invest in, even if it's going to turn you a short-term profit. And it's anything to do with China at this point. Senator Marco Rubio agrees. Cut 25. I mean, we've got large, very influential, powerful uh, organizations in our country in the business sector who rely on the access to the Chinese market and production in China for their bottom line. I mean, it is, uh, it is for them uh, too valuable now to, to, to jeopardize. And I think that's true for the National Basketball Association. I think that's been true for, for Nike, for Apple, and a host of others. And, and that includes, I imagine, NBC as well with the coverage of the Olympic Games. I mean, if their coverage gets out of line, they could very well be barred from sending journalists there to cover an athletic competition. So that's why I'm, pr- I'm, I'm glad they're doing the diplomatic boycott. I do not want to deny at this late juncture these athletes a chance to compete in her, uh, curling and, and the non-revenue sports like the biathlon. This is their moment. Let them have it. IOC, new scrutiny on who you give the Olympics to, until, although very few can afford it, especially the Winter Games. When we come back, your turn, one 408 7669 And remember, you can always get the podcast, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're seeing a little bit of mental illness. We're seeing just disregard yeah. for common decency. But when you when you have mass amounts of people put back on the streets that have traditionally been uh, held in jail, you're seeing some of that permeate here as well. I mean, that that's just a fact. Dermot Shea, he's been saddled with working for a... Uh, a lawless, lazy mayor. Uh, and, you know, if he comes out and speaks out, he loses his job. So he's in a tough spot, but he did the best possible job, and he's going to be moving out, and, and Eric Adams is going to be coming in. And the reason why I bring up New York, even though, you know, we're here and you're there, is that I just think it's there's so many other cities that are exactly like this. Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland. I mean, what we just saw, for example, in Waukesha over in, in Wisconsin. Who would think you can't go to a parade at 12 noon and some lunatic is going to run over you and your children? Six kids died going to a parade. We're opening up the holiday season after a year in which we were told to put it on hold. So that's why this is a national story. Harold, you're listening on one of our coveted affiliates in Raleigh, North Carolina, WPTF. Hey, Harold. I'd have to disagree with you about Eric Adams. Why? Because if you notice every city in America that's run by Democrats. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. They're all, they all have problems. Every single one of them is, is a, has a crime issue. He doesn't control the city council or the state legislature, so he's done. As far as the anti-crime unit coming back, let me ask you this, Mr. Killing what happens when one of those arrests goes south? 
guys fighting, bouncing around, or you got to shoot them. What's going to happen? I know that I that right. that, uh, that part I agree with you. As soon as something happens, uh, every every white person's a white supremacist, and every black person's oppressed. I get it, but I'm just hopeful that politicians want to survive, and they know it's in their interest to act more like Joe Manchin than AOC. So that's what I'm hoping for. And also, Republicans, Harold, got to go make a run at some of these cities. They don't even try to be the mayor. True, too. But, but let me ask you this, Mr. Mr. Kilmeade. You just said something about, about politi- politicians just want to get elected. Right. They, they don't care. They, if the policy doesn't affect them, they don't care. You saw that shooting in Beverly Hills where that 81-year-old woman was killed? Yep. You see how up in arms everybody is now? Yep. They got private security. They want to know this. They want to know that. Right. That's so what. It, but you're playing to my point, Harold, that if they want to survive, now that it's bleeding into Midtown and Pacific Palisades and Beverly Hills, you have to provide security. That's not AOC friendly. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What's he saying in terms of capitalism? What he said in one of his most important speeches, he said, we will see to it in this long struggle that capitalism dies out in the world and that his vision of socialism prevails. China grew really lawlessly, chaotically in the last 40 years. And that's all about to change. Is Xi Jinping killing off capitalism? In China. President Xi envisions what he calls a modern socialist economy for China, a much more restricted capitalism. President Xi is with the people. He is with the peasants, the middle class, and unlike the, his predecessors, he doesn't really care so much about what happens to the elites. Yeah, but the elites provide in their limited, in their limited capitalism that they had. Uh, opportunities for both those classes. I thought we settled that. Jonathan Woods, an author of China's Vision of Victory and founder of the Atlas Organization. Uh, Jonathan, welcome back. I wanted to get you to weigh in on how big business is really sacrificing their soul for for Chinese profit at this key time uh, in our history. Are you concerned? And what do you think about that 60 Minutes piece, which I just played a feature on? Hi, Brian. Great to be back. Yes, this is one of the most important conversations we need to have in America is what our business leaders are doing in China. Um, I mean, you and I both know that this is a country, um, you know, the People's Republic of China, that's trying to beat America, that's building a military that's designed for conflict with us, that's carrying out a genocide. I mean, these are the sorts of things that you would have thought would die with the 20th century, but they're back in full force. Here we are in 2021. And our business leaders are over there um, looking at it as the biggest market to be. I mean, in many sectors, it's an expanding market. It's you know they've spent decades building businesses there, and now they're caught in this bind where, to respect the will of the Communist Party, they have to you know twist themselves into knots and do things that are just uh, totally against American values. And what's worse is that they're contributing to the strategic power of the People's Republic of China. I mean, China can't actually beat the United States without our technology, our capital, and our export markets. And it's our companies that are playing that intermediary role between the U.S. and the Chinese economy. 
economy, making sure that we are pumping in tech and capital and enabling China's rise. So we lose this contest ultimately if our business leaders continue to engage in this way. So we've got to start to change uh, track on all of this. Couple of things. Do you believe that they are trying to get rid of the market-based economy? Do you think they're going to go back to more full bore Mao communism? And do they? That is probably the best news long term for us because if they do not put personal incentives uh, into their economy, they're just going to wallow and wither. Don't you agree? No, I don't think that's what they're doing, though. I think actually they have um, pretty sophisticated um, planning and investment programs, and they're looking to dominate strategic industries, and they're doing this quite effectively, and it's a very sophisticated track. But what they're doing is they're building up super companies, I and mean, you have some of the biggest mergers in history at this point. I mean, in the shipping sector, now they're going to build a rare earths giant, and you know China's corporations are among the biggest in the world. I mean, the banks are the largest in the world by assets under management. So these sorts of things, they're actually producing things that are state directed or state backed with the power of the you know Chinese sort of government behind them that are going out around the world and expanding um, and building up pretty sophisticated technology so it's something new it's not uh, certainly not communism it's a hybrid of capitalism and state power but, but and it's something that could really uh, is going to cause us a lot of trouble when you uh, disappear Jack Ma when you start taking over businesses that have made uh, made their own success, and you start taking control of that, how could, how could state-run capitalism ever work? Well, here's the thing. I mean, what they are going to do is, is uh, damage or destroy the entrepreneurial incentive. Yes. And that's changed. But that's not the same thing as having massive economic power. So when you have, um, you know, companies that have hundreds of billions of dollars worth of revenue and assets, not just from the China market, from around the world, I mean, those are real things. The Soviet Union didn't have that. Um, but it doesn't mean that entrepreneurs will want to make their future in China. We may have that advantage, but they've got size and scale, and it's causing real issues already. So J.P. Morgan, uh, Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan is going to go over there. I think part of the trade deal was they would allow investment banks to be located in China. Is that part of phase one under President Trump? Well, right. I mean, our bankers have tried to get into this market for a long time. I mean, they want the fees. They want to, you know, essentially manage Chinese wealth because the, the wealth has you know, ballooned a lot um, in the past uh, decade or so. So, you know, Diamond's been all over the headlines about this. And I think this is one of the worst parts because at the end of the day, you know, it's one thing to be um, a non-financial corporation that's competing with Chinese companies. It's another to be an investment bank, which is directly facilitating the efficiency of the Chinese economy. So I think we have to pull our bankers back. We have to pull them out. Um, we shouldn't be funding um, China. We shouldn't be managing their money. Um, I mean, this all contributes to an economy that, that is uh, focused on military power and, and, you know, surveillance capability. And our bankers are helping that work. Want to hear um, a scary a and, if, uh, yeah. Jonathan, I agree with what you're saying. You want to hear a scary soundbite? Ray Dalio, would you say one of the most successful investors in our country? Yeah, and, and Cut, listen to this. Cut twenty-four. What they have is an autocratic system, um, and uh, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism. In China, it's an extension of the family, and as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent. Really, who rounds up Uyghurs in concentration camps and harvests their organs? Is he is he out of his mind? 
Yeah, Dalio, I think, is really on on the you know in a league of his own here. I mean, he's a guy that talks about China as the rising empire, understands that China is planning to, you know, beat the U.S. economically and militarily, and he has said in his own words, "I plan to bet on both sides of this contest." So, yeah, I think Americans need to get to know Ray Dalio and what he really stands for. That's on a totally different spectrum. It's bad stuff. It's it's really bad stuff. It's not good. He's got a book out. I want to bring him in and play that for you. Uh, so. Matt Pottinger said this about the China he knows as he had that position uh, with the Trump administration, cut 30. The purpose is to instill fear and to instill loyalty uh, among those who are lucky enough not to get purged uh, under under the current uh, campaign. The party has taken a machete and sort of whacked its way toward the the headquarters and C-suites of all of these big tech firms and said, your data is now our data. Do you think that the purpose, the purpose in a lot of these crackdowns is for the government to get their hands on the data? The Chinese government has said that data is like the new oil of this century and that that where the data flows, power will flow. To your assessment of that. Well, I think that's right. I mean, this is about power. This is a contest for power. I mean, we keep looking at the different dimensions, but at the end of the day, you know, China sees itself as the rising power that's going to dominate the world economy and eventually dominate its region and potentially the globe militarily. So that's that's what we're dealing with when it comes to the tech companies. They want control over these things. They want to use, for example, data, um, which is one of the greatest advantages in building AI, which then has huge military um, you know, creates huge military advantages. So it's all part of one unified vision here where it's about building the power of the state and enacting their vision of victory. Um, so, so we're dealing with something we've never dealt with before. I mean, this is not the Soviet Union. This is something that is way bigger, uh, way stronger. And, and, and you know, it's, it's taken a lot of lessons from us. I mean, it's running on American technology and capital. That's the scary part. We you got the hypersonic technology. The, the hypersonic technology was taken from us. The drone technology was taken from us. Their fighter jets look exactly like ours. Their space caps looks like ours. Well, Brian, in, in the in the you know '90s, this was mostly an agrarian economy, and it's all built on U.S. tech, and that's the economic engagement that our leaders foolishly chose. So we're going to have to um, you know fix that now. We have to win a contest across every major industry and piece of technology that that matters in the 21st century. And these guys have huge head starts. Do you believe that our politicians understand that, and they're just not saying it because we hear the Biden administration say they're competitors, they're not enemies? I think our politicians don't understand the importance of American business and finance in this competition. The only way to beat China is to win the underlying economic competition. And yet, you know, you've seen what Tim Cook's been up to. You see what all of our, um, you know, bankers and hedge funds are up to. I mean, everybody's trying to build into China. So until politicians are ready to uh, get business leaders serious about this problem, then I think um, we're not playing the game we're actually in. So the news came out this week that Apple's Tim Cook has signed a $275 billion deal to placate China. Uh, He is going to help them with investments. A five-year deal was made when Cook made visits to China in 2016 to quash a host of regulatory action against the company. Cook lobbied Chinese officials who believed the company was not contributing enough to their local economy and signed the agreement with the Chinese government. Some of Apple's investment in China would go towards building new retail stores, research and development centers, and renewable energy projects. China is one of Apple's largest markets. They build everything there, by the way, the growth of 83 percent of the country. So they sold their soul to China. 
Yeah, I mean, Apple is, is deep into this, and you can see this is the real cost of doing business in China. You have to help them build, um, you know, their, their economy, which is the basis of their strategic power. It's the basis of their military power. And uh, as reported, this deal that Cook did is worth $275 billion. Now, let's talk about that number for a second, because that is larger than the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, Congress's biggest, best idea for competition with China. So apparently Apple is pouring more into China than the United States government is pouring into our competitive power. And that's just one company. With foreign direct investment going into China, you know, corporate investment, you know, from our banks. I mean, this is what's fueling the rise. We got to stop it. How? Uh, do, you, do you embarrass this company through public exposure? No, you, you, start, you start to use, I mean, the U.S. has a, has a very sophisticated economic uh, warfare toolkit that needs to start being used. Um, I mean, you need export controls, you need investment bans, you need to do this across the alliance system, and you need to start pulling the corporates back so that their supply chains aren't based in China and so that they're focused on rebuilding the U.S. Um, you can't have them participating in Chinese um, in advanced technology or um, strategic industries. And, and that's, that's, I think, across the board. But, you know, there is that precedent throughout, um, you know, decades of U.S. policy. It's just never been applied to a situation like this. But we have a huge uh, toolkit for economic containment and economic warfare, and we're going to have to start using it. We're going to be forced to use it. That's where we're headed. Well, uh, Jonathan, I know you realize it. I just wish more people did. Jonathan Ward, author of Chinese Vision of Victory, and we're in a fight. We just won't admit it. Jonathan, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let alone what they're doing militarily, building bases in the Middle East and in Africa, or let alone their presence over in Venezuela, and who knows what they're doing in Cuba. Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, when we come back, find out where I'll be with the president and freedom fighter. Once again, spent now our fifth week uh, in the top ten of the country. Actually moved up a slot yesterday in the New York Times list. And I appreciate all of your support. It happened because of you listeners and those people watching on Fox Nation or getting the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com, Spotify, iHeart, or uh, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Big economic relief for millions of Americans who have been dealing with soaring energy prices. Cost of pump, finally easing The national average for a gallon of regular falling to $3.35, the lowest since October. Just look at that. Ah. Is that unbelievable how clueless he is? Not only did he lose his, uh, his cohort in, in Governor Cuomo, uh, Governor Cuomo's brother and Governor Cuomo, uh, Don Lemon also thinks Lisa, a nickel savings uh, per gallon is going to make a difference. When we're used to $2 gas and, and when being our own producer and having that security, and now it's three thirty-five, but 7 bucks in some areas in big cities, and he thinks that's a great moment, a great moment in American history. That is good economic news. Barack, uh, uh, Joe Biden begging for better press coverage since everyone's being unfair. Dana Milbank of the Washington Post saying his coverage is even worse than Donald Trump. No sober American believes that. Stuart, listening in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Stuart. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Hey, what's on your mind? 
Oh, hey, first thing, I'm sorry about your Christmas tree. It, it's just a sign of the times. It is. You know, I, I, I was I was shocked, but not unexpectedly shocked, and I don't know why. It, it, it's just that's the kind of stuff that's just kind of driving a lot of people mad is, you know, nobody's shocked that that happened in New York City. And, uh, you know, to me, that would be a shocking crime anywhere. And, and it just drives me nuts is, you know, I hate to think this is a sign of the times. I'd like to think we can get past COVID, you know, with smart government. I'd like to think we can get past the high gas prices with smart government. I'd like to think we can get past conflicts around the world with smart government. And I swear it seems like the problem is the, the key commitment there is smart government. And we, and we seem to always uh, Have lose on that aspect. Yeah. And – and I'd kind of like to – I have a solution to the problem if you give me a, a second. Real quick. I think, I think with the tax code the way it is, and, and it's horribly complicated, and most people, um, especially in higher income brackets, have to have somebody do their tax returns because they don't want to take a chance on having a mistake or something along those lines because they're so god-awful complicated. The, the thing I'd like to see happen is we force Congress every year to be the, tax, the crash test dummies for the tax code. And that they prepare their own taxes with no outside assistance. Well, we'll see. Uh, listen, uh, thanks for the call, Stuart. That's never going to happen. Um, but I appreciate it. Here's John Krakauer talking about crime in the city like we were talking about. And the combination, the fact is that that arsonist is now out tells a bigger story. Cut eight. The issue of crime and law and order is a bigger long-term vulnerability for Democrats than, than even the economy and inflation and all the other issues on the home front. I mean— the Democratic Party was was uh, doomed for almost two decades between the late 60s and the late 80s because of the perception that they were soft on crime, that they put criminals' rights ahead of victims' rights. And it took a long time for them to recover that, that branding problem, that, that substantive problem that the party faced for a long time. You just see a Democratic Party, and including President Biden, that doesn't seem to be able to confront those progressive forces that are, that are calling for these, these, these social justice policies. That's why I think Eric Adams will, will govern in a little bit more moderate way, because the other way, even if he feels differently, the other way, he's not going to survive. And the city's going to struggle. You always want to replace someone so inept as Mayor de Blasio. It's a great situation. You don't want to really replace Maru Giuliani, who is on a great role. Bloomberg uh, continued a lot of those policies, was endorsed by Rudy, then became an independent, then a Democrat. And his last, he left with about 25% approval rating. Joe, listen on WRCN in New York. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Listen, Brian, I agree with everything you're saying. This is an intentional takedown of the, of the rule of law and takedown of our police officers and authority. And this is, and like you said, it's all Democrats that are doing this, this bail reform. And I know we're talking about New York. I won't even go in the city anymore. I haven't gone there. I don't want my wife going there, my sisters, anybody. I have a brother and sister who live in South Street Seaport. I won't even visit them in years because it's not safe. I, the, uh, he's delusional, de Blasio. And I'm both, that's why I'm pushing. We have to wait till November for uh, Lee Zeldin, for governor, to get us back in there. But AOC, this looting, Black Lives Matter, she says it's to buy bread. They were destroying. It's coming, uh, destroying the stores and, and looting them. This is coming out to the suburbs now in Suffolk County, where I live. This isn't just in Manhattan what's going on there. This bail reform, they're letting out nut jobs who should parole cop killers. There's so many people out on these streets, like the guy who burned uh, the tree down. But this is unsafe. They're letting out these uh, criminals that never see the light of day. 
And I hate to tell you, but they're attacking Democrats, too. When do Democrats realize they're putting themselves in danger uh, with this new woke approach to life? It's crazy. Uh, Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Joe. Joe's got a bunch of kids, really passionate. Uh, By the way, I hope to see everybody in person in Fort Worth. I'll be there tonight at the American Gardens in Tyler, Texas, on Friday at noon at Texas Music City and Longview, Texas, in the afternoon at Longview Mall. Then to KRMG, I want all the listeners out on Saturday in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Books A Million in Oklahoma City, Full Circle Bookstore. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This hour, we're going to do a simulcast with Varney and Company, Stuart Varney, the number one show in Fox Business. Uh, Kaylee McEnany in studio. Uh, she's excited, as I am, to have her here. Not only is she set to host her show, Outnumbered, in less than two hours, but her book is now out this week. It's called For Such a Time as This, My Faith Journey Through the White House and Beyond. And we'll talk to her about that. At the same time, we'll monitor... Um, the tribute to Senator Bob Dole. He's resting, he's resting his uh, body is resting in state in the Capitol building, as expected, and both sides are there to represent. One of the few people to bring Republicans and Democrats together uh, at the age of 98. He passed away from cancer. Uh, so let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Communist Party has celebrated its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. And and I'll I'll make you bet we last longer. (laughs) I can't say that in China. (laughs) They probably are listening anyway. Yeah, they are. And he later apologized. China, American businesses are selling their soul and how they're a poor human rights record as more nations joining our diplomatic Olympic boycott. We'll discuss it. Number two. What about private businesses? Private businesses, no. And I'll tell you the reason why. If there's 100 employees or more, and that's all it affects, they've done something right. And I don't think the government has to make every decision for the private sector. You know, you've been doing quite well without it. Wow, Joe Manchin with the Wall Street Journal uh, a meeting yesterday, which kind of a town hall for him, uh, standing up again, mandate mania. Even some Dems are beginning to sober up to the realities of Biden breaking his words on vaccine mandates. It's costing people their jobs. And as predicted, they're now coming for your kids. Plus, the Omicron scare tactic further fuels distrust with the masses. I'll explain. Number one. Keeping New Yorkers safe, bringing the city back, that's the mission. A recovery for all of us. Now, we are one of the safest places in America right now when it comes to COVID. And we are also, as we have been for a long, long time, the safest big city in America. Really? That's interesting. Uh, no one believes that because who lives here. Crime crisis, sponsored by progressives, sub-sponsored the squad, piloted by Joe Biden, affecting every major city in America. You commit the crime and do no time, plus defaming and defunding the cops is a brutal combination. It yields chaos. We will detail the downfall and brand new bloody murder numbers. Uh, and Democrats could be paying the price if they don't sober up real quick. With me right now, Kaylee McEnany. Kaylee, welcome. Hey, Brian. Great to join you. How's the book tour feel? 
Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I was on Fox and Friends with yes. you. Congratulations on your book, oh, by the thank way, you. The President and the Freedom I appreciate Fighter. It. Appreciate yeah, it. really good. Now, are you going to tour? Are you going to be out doing any appearances? What's uh, so going I'm going to Pensacola. I'm speaking at a big church there and doing a book signing. Um, I'm doing one in my hometown of Tampa, going out to Phoenix for Turning Point USA. So not quite as many stops as you. Yes. You did like 10 in, a, in like four days. I was I like, know. how is he doing this? And I'm actually going to Dallas tonight and then tomorrow wow. uh, going to uh, Longwood in Tyler, Texas. Wow. Tulsa and Oklahoma City, but almost done. Almost like, done. Almost done. But I've just found, I thought, and I think I've told you this before, um, and we'll get to the issues, but as press secretary, it's the hardest for the president of the United States because he is definitely an atypical politician. He really is a one-man force. Oftentimes, if you prepare for a press conference, the news would change minutes before you got up there. Yeah. And you would walk out there not only prepared for the issues, but prepared with issues that the press did not bring up. Yes. And you go, hey, by the way, here are the stories you're not asking me. Boom, boom, boom. I never heard saw that tactic before. It was brilliant. Well, it had never been done. Um, and look, I was told coming into the job, you've got to try to just, uh, you know, realize that half of your job is to work for the press and half for the president. And I said, but if the press doesn't work for the people anymore by ignoring a whole host of issues, I'm not working for the press. And I decided to gracefully, respectfully challenge them with headlines and that's what we did we did a lot of preparation you're right it got challenging when there's a last minute news story breaking um but yeah i think we did something that hadn't been done before and i had a great team to help me do it so you had sarah huckabee sanders who took the fire and was on snl and then sean spicer they did the same thing on snl and then in between you had a press secretary who has since turned on the administration who would not do a press conference and now you go in there you must have known was there hesitancy on your part to taking the job Not at all. I wanted to, well, I mean, I I should say I was hesitant in the sense of leaving my daughter behind during COVID-19. She was in Florida. So on a personal family level, yes, a hesitancy. But when President Trump called me, it was honestly pretty random. I wasn't expecting the call. I didn't know he was thinking of changing press secretaries. And out of the blue, I get a call from the White House switchboard and it's the president. And he said, I have a question for you. Do you want to be my press secretary? And I said, it would be the honor of a lifetime without hesitation. Um, and he said, Mark, get it done. And I assume by that he meant Mark Meadows, go get it done. And it took a few weeks, but he got it done. So I, there was apprehension and nervousness, but never once did I think about not taking it. I heard job. Mark was the one who suggested you. Is that what you found out or is that not true? That that might be. I, honestly, I know the president said to me, yeah. Mark Meadows, yeah, the president had said to me for a while that he'd been trying to get me in there. And he said, I kept telling my team, get Kaylee, get Kaylee, get Kaylee. And finally, I put my foot down and got it done. Um, so Mark may have been a, a contributor in that, but um, President Trump takes the credit. So. Right. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we know how he that deserves goes. it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so Kaylee, you get this job uh, and, and you had to be aggressive. This is what I found. You're a nice person by trade. There's a lot of people who grow up who, you know, are like kind of edgy and kind of want the conflict. Did it go against your personality to, to spar like this on a daily basis with people who clearly did not like who you work for? And had a problem with almost everything you said. Did that go against the grain in your personality? It did. Um, And, you know, I went through academia, all these liberal institutions. And, you know, I'm more of a conciliatory person. Um, But I think what President Trump taught me is we've got to be a little bit of a fighter. And it was actually, I was on team Ben Carson at first. I didn't officially work for Ben Carson. That's who I was supporting. Changed to President Trump and only changed to him when I was on, at the time, Harvard Law School's campus. 
And I saw how angry the left was, and I saw how hesitant conservatives, including me, were to speak up. And then I saw this bold fighter in President Trump, who sometimes said things a little indelicately, not the way I would say them, but was a fighter and bold and conservative and unashamed. And um, while it went against my personality to always be, you know, kind of combative or in a a, uh, mano a mano, I learned a lot from President Trump and realized we need a little bit of fight, especially when we have the truth. So when when I watch Peter Ducey uh, engage the president, Gage Jen Psaki, and even the president. But I think the big difference is it's not the tough questions. It's the tone. Yes. And, and it's just the anger and tone and disdain for you, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and for the president. It's really dissuading and I think harmful. Here's an example of Jim Acosta, the worst showman mm. I've ever seen go into that room. He had no interest in the answers, only in making himself more famous. Will you and other White House officials be wearing masks at the rally? It's a personal choice. I won't be wearing a mask. Um, I can't speak for my colleagues. And why won't you wear a mask? Is it sort of a personal political statement? Is it because the president would be disappointed in you if you don't wear a mask? It's a personal it? It's a personal decision. I'm tested regularly. I feel that it's safe for me not to be wearing a mask. And I'm in compliance with CDC guidelines, which are recommended but not required. So just a... It was personal. He was trying to get some type of story instead of get answers for his story. And that was one of the milder Jim Acosta exchanges. Um, You know, he regularly would take me out of context. For instance, I remember one time I said, uh, the science should not stand in the way of opening schools because the science is on our side. And I listed all the footnotes to that. And he just tweets out, Kaylee says science shouldn't stand in the way, which obviously is the direct opposite of what I was saying. He left out the second part. Even Jake Tapper called him out for that one. But one example of many of dishonesty. And what it boils down to is some of these reporters, especially the loud ones, Jim Acosta, Caitlin Collins, John Carl, it's about their personal brand. They're trying to create a brand that is anti-Trump, a fighter, um, that is that is against Trump at all costs. Uh, and so they try to create these viral moments. And, and there's a handful of them. They're very loud. I think most of your listeners probably know who they are. Jim Acosta among them, and it's a real travesty. It's, uh, it's he, he was by far the worst. Tam Donaldson, all those people through time, would ask questions, had to do with the news, and maybe were a little abrasive in doing it. Um, but not like this, not like I've ever seen before. So what was it like behind the scenes? Because a lot of the press secretary is without the cameras there, right? Would they be different with you? Yes, I would say, you know, um, yes and no. Some of them were very nice on a personal level. You know, we'd be on Air Force One. But I was never, um, when you're in the press world and in government or, you know, with a political campaign, you kind of have a choice because reporters try to say, let's go have drinks, let's go have dinner, let's meet for coffee. And I was never one that really took people up on that because, I felt um, that those scenarios were always hazardous. I think a few scenarios come to mind where people say information off the record and the press doesn't honor it. So I kept my distance. Um, they were cordial and kind people like Steve Holland. Jeff May- uh, Jeff Mason was actually a very nice guy. But, um, you know, I tried to kind of keep my professional distance because I realized just how hostile it was against Trump and conservatives generally. So a lot of times people have to decompress after that job, especially working for the president. Uh, President Trump in particular. Did you have to decompress? Not really. Uh, And people say, like, how stressful was the job? Sure, it was stressful. There were definitely hard points. No time off. But no time off. Um, You know, I had weekends at home, but we were always working. You're always on the clock. But I would say we had fun in the job. I mean, the times we were in my office, in the press secretary's office, sitting by the fireplace, just laughing about, like, the kinds of crazy questions we could get asked, brainstorming, putting a lot of our, our intellect into it with my small team. I had two confidants that were really uh, would help me spitball the issues. We had a blast. We had a lot of fun. And I think that's the key to the job. And 
being honored. Did you really have fun? I did. We, yeah. we had so much fun because we would identify the hardest question. We'd go out there and they would never ask the hardest <clears throat> question because they didn't do their research. And I, I knew the question that I'd have to kind of wiggle and it would be hard for me to answer um, because there wasn't a good answer for it. But they never really got to that question. It was always kind of the low hanging fruit. Like, why aren't you wearing a mask? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, the pandemic changed everything. Yes. Right. I mean, you had one narrative, the Russia narrative that, the, you know, CNN was going to ask about in MSNBC every day. But the pandemic changed everything. How did you handle that? You know, I you now had doctors you're handling at the same time as the president. The president had the same message as the doctors. Should they have a press conference together? Let's stop doing that. Let's start doing that. It was a tough time. Yeah. You point out a really important issue because so I come into the West Wing and unlike, let's say, Sarah Sanders, who was a deputy press secretary, then got the role. I had never been a deputy press secretary in the White House. You know, I had been an intern, but that's nothing in comparison to actually being in the West Wing and working there. So I come in never having worked in the West Wing during the middle of a COVID-19 lockdown. That is literally when I came in. I had watched the infamous coronavirus task force briefings with Fauci contradicting the president. So it was a challenge. And when I came in, uh, the COVID task force briefings kind of started going off the rails. So um, we stopped doing those so much. They ceased to be productive for the American people because of the way the press handled pitting Fauci against Trump, et cetera. Um, So I kind of took the place of the coronavirus task force briefings, um, which was a challenge. But I would get the best information I could from Dr. Burks, who was a big help in that regard. And Joie and, um, you know, Alex Azar, and then you bring the best information you can to the American people. So it was a challenge, but it was fun. She went to Oxford, Harvard, yes. uh, University of Miami. I want to find out all those things about Kaylee McEnany. Also have you comment on the news of the day. In fact, before we uh, before we actually take a time out, um, I really believe that in there's something going on in these cities. We watched our tree burn, and then we watched the fact that that arsonist is now out. And we're seeing all these these repeat criminals when we, when you go to a parade at 12 noon in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and get run over by somebody that had no business being out of jail by a repeat offender. Do you think there's there is going to be hell to pay like never before in 2022 in oh, yes. small and big elections? Oh, yes. And we saw over the summer when crime was particularly bad, that crime soared to one of the top issues, if not the top issue. So I think it's immigration, economy and crime, no doubt about it. And, you know, I think one of the things that's uh, not talked about enough, we talk about these DAs and all the problems in, at the state and local level, which is true and accurate, but we also don't often talk about how Joe Biden's been an aider and a better of the defund the police movement. You know, Jen Psaki will say he doesn't support defunding the police, but the entire campaign, he kind of let that movement play out instead of firmly pressing it down. And that's the reason we're here. It's liberal policies and President Biden, he has a hand in this. Right. He earned this struggle. Yes. It's not as if it's just a cycle thing. This is a performance thing. Uh, when we come back, Kelly McEnany uh, talks more about her brand new book, For Such a Time as This, where the title came from, and what was it like working at CNN? Uh, and then we'll take your calls. But Kelly's going to stay here for the whole half hour, and then she goes and does Outnumbered, but and then a whole lot of promotion in between. Right? Oh, yes. You oh, yeah. know. <laughs> and also, yeah, and you got to tell me, if do you need people to show up, or is this all ticketed at your events? Uh, it's mostly ticketed. So people are showing up already. Tampa's already sold out. So we're in good shape. Sounds like you're bragging a little bit. I, I'm bragging just a little just bit. Just a little bit. It's, I have not like seen that events. side. Of, I haven't <laughs> seen that side of you yet. This is very interesting. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We recognize we have to do more and better, but it's not unique to California. You've seen in Chicago, Minnesota, but also this is not unique. Property crime has gone up in many, many states, red states, not just blue states. Violent crime and property crime, for example, is higher in Texas than is in California. I don't see that on Fox News. Why do you uh, see that there? Right. So uh, Gavin Newsom trying to sell a book. Meanwhile, uh, you know what's happening uh, in his state right now with uh, crime, the the uh, the looting that's taking place in all the major cities. The governor says, yeah, it's up to those mayors to rein him in. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that. And I I can't imagine anybody wanting Gavin Newsom's book. Kelly McEnany still with me, host Outnumbered. Her book is out now for such a time as this. Top 10 already on Amazon. Kaylee, Gavin Newsom selling a book at this time. Uh, here we are in the holiday season where these major cities and these beautiful stores are being uh, are being looted on a daily basis. Yeah. No, it's exactly right. And AOC says it's not happening. There are no smashing right. grabs. So there well, we are. You, well, what do you say? Do you, he he knows a lot about Fox News for a guy that you would, is the iconic liberal governor. Right. The iconic liberal governor who's run the state into the ground, who had a recall election, thinks he knows about Fox News. Well, why don't you come on Fox News and actually answer some real substantive questions instead of chatting it up with the hyenas at The View um, who are so delusional. Like I was listening to them talk about Joe Biden's press coverage and why aren't we giving him credit? And he's so deserving of gloating coverage. And what plan are you living on? The guy has a 41 percent approval rating. Uh, Besides Biden, do you think he's going to be running for president? I think so. Um, Well, first, let me back up. I've always been a believer that Joe Biden's going to run for a second term. I know I'm like in the vast minority there, but I think the guy's too stubborn. I think he's running. If he does run, I don't think he has many challengers. They'll probably clear the way. Um, But should he not run? Yeah. Kamala, Gavin Newsom. Yes. Pete Buttigieg, who the West Wing apparently loves now. It looks like uh, Donald Trump and he are almost in a dead heat with the Hispanic vote. That poll came out yesterday. You caught that. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylee, I'm going to run through some things in your background. Rapid answers. All right. Okay. How how it helps shape who you are today. First, uh, going from the University of Miami to Harvard. What's the big difference? Uh, the big difference was, I mean, Harvard obviously was a liberal campus. They call it the People's Republic of Cambridge. So I was surrounded by um, very strong leftists, um, and it was a challenge, but made me better, made me better for my job as press secretary. A lot of context, too. Oxford. Oxford, uh, same thing. So at Oxford, you have professors who grill you on the papers you write. I had a professor from the Palestinian Liberation Organization, so we were very much at odds. She ended up being one of my favorite professors, and those sessions were very formative to understanding how to come to a podium, for instance, with a binder and facts. CNN. CNN, again, eight on one, uh, left on right, the host included among the leftists. Um, I, I couldn't show up without facts because I'd have eight, seven people screaming over me. I was on Cuomo. We had a pretty viral exchange where he was demanding I call President Trump a liar. Um, interesting. He's such a paragon of virtue, isn't he? Uh, he really is. Things certainly reversed. Kayla, congratulations. I hope to have you on next week and the week after. I'm Absolutely. also doing primetime. We'll continue to get the word out about your book, the insider account of what it was really like being in the line of fire during the Trump years, and will there be four more? Uh, Kaylee, thanks so much. We'll watch you on Outnumbered at noon. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What about private businesses? Private businesses, no, and I'll tell you the reason why. If there's a hundred employees or more, and that's all it affects, they've done something right. I don't think they're going to give up their market shares or subject their employees mm. and lose their customers' base because of not making good decisions. And I don't think the government has to make every decision for the private sector. You know, you've been doing quite well without it. Is there a better approach than a mandate that the government... I've always said incentivize, don't penalize. That is so true. And Senator Joe Manchin literally saving the country for the next for over the last year and hopefully the next year or two. You know, he was the one who said, I'm not packing the court. I'm not getting rid of the filibuster. I'm not spending $3.5 trillion. They got it down to $2 trillion. Now he says it's not the time with inflation to spend it. My hope is that he keeps on putting it off, putting it off, and putting it off. And then when he comes back, Republicans should not even mount a challenge if he wants another six years in office. If he was running for president against whoever the Republicans put up, even Donald Trump, I mean, I would I would pick Trump personally over Manchin. But if you lose and you're a Republican, the country's not going to change that much. The country's changing a lot because Joe Biden is not a strong intellect, not a strong leader. Is used to being a consensus guy, going along with whatever's his political winds blow, and he's not exactly on the top of his game. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to diagnose what's going on here, but it doesn't make me feel great watching him. But when it comes to these mandates, two Republicans, Democrats stood up with Republicans and voted to overturn the president's mandate. Now, a court already stated, and it's for those hundred, those companies with 100-plus employees, mandate they get all to get a vaccine. The court said, no, that's not constitutional. We're going to stop that and analyze it and rule later. How serious are these mandates for political futures? For example, on a Democrat, Gretchen Whitmer, the face of the lockdown crackdown during the pandemic, right? Now she has a different tune. Why? She's up for re-election. Quote, we're an employer, too, the state of Michigan. I know if the mandate happens, we're going to lose some state employees. That's why. I haven't proposed a mandate at the state level. Some states have. We have not. We're waiting to see what happens in court. We, but we have a lot of the same concerns that you've, you've voiced, and it's going to be a problem for all of us. Wow. For her to say that, the numbers must be pretty strong. Because I read these numbers, and I'm shocked. 50% of the country is for the mandate because they're under the belief that if you're not vaccinated, you're going to spread the virus. Yet we watch all these breakthrough hospitalizations from vaccinated people. And for the vaccinated, if we're listening to them, they say we're going to get mild symptoms if we get it again. So what's the big deal? Get it again. And then you got natural immunity on top of your vaccine. And what's the big deal? Symptoms are going to be light. Okay. And then for you, if you get it and if you are healthy, you're going to survive. 99.8% survive. If you have underlying conditions, get the vaccine. Uh, I did. And I don't have underlying conditions. So Los Angeles School District has fired hundreds of their employees who refused to get the shot. The Los Angeles Unified School District, yes, they are union members. As of Tuesday, 496 employees were terminated but may be eligible to get their jobs back if they choose to get vaccinated. 
Quote, Megan Riley from the district interim superintendent. We care deeply about all our employees. Parting ways with these individuals who choose not to be vaccinated is extremely difficult, but necessary decision to ensure the safety for all. Really? I don't see that at all, but what's the big deal? As of New York City, New York City's got a mayor decided I want everybody in business to get vaccinated. And I'm going to figure I don't really have any details on how to do it, but I'm going to make that uh, put that rule out there and essentially let the next mayor deal with it. How ridiculous is that? Pure, pure, uh, actually proving that this is all politics. So you got to hear what everyone's saying. They're saying that right now this is a big enough for you to the guy who's going to replace him, Eric Adams. And there's no doubt it is. Because now he's got to figure a way to implement it. The word is that Eric Adams is on vacation in Ghana before he takes the job. Is saying that I'm going to just be hands off and do honor system. I'm being, getting vaccinated. Dr. Marty McCary on the mandates. And the broken promise and what it means in terms of trust. Cut 18. There's zero scientific evidence that somebody with natural immunity who already has circulating antibodies needs a vaccine. So that's about half of America right there. The the vaccine mandates, I believe, were done with good intentions, but they do represent a broken promise. Everybody was promised very directly in, in in very specific terms from Dr. Fauci and the White House that we would never have a mandate. And so uh, all we needed was a little more flexibility and we could have avoided so many of the problems that have now hardened people because now we may need people over 65 to get a booster. Some have been hardened. Some people we were making progress convincing they've been hardened and everybody's sort of frozen place. And by the way, most of society is moving towards flexibility. TSA agents were given flexibility. The deadline came and passed for them to be fully vaccinated and 40% were not three weeks before that deadline. And there was flexibility because people recognized it was going to be catastrophic mm-hmm. to enforce it. And now the uh, that is so true. Dr. McCarty has probably made as much sense as any doctor in the country. Benny Bascio, the head of the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association, not so fortunate. There's about 1,400 other officers who have resigned or retired since 2019 because corrections is a terrible job in New York. It's not supported. And now they're making them all, by next week, get a shot. And if they don't, unpaid leave. Who's going to work the prisons? Not me. Senator Tim Scott on how this all is working in reverse. Even if the numbers go up, the anger in people being forced to choose between feeding their family and getting this shot even though they've had the antibodies already in many cases. Cut 17. Uh, having grown up in South Carolina and North Charleston, I see cities throughout South Carolina and around the country, frankly, New York City being perhaps the poster child of, of bad decisions, especially as it relates to this mandate, the oppressive decision that the mayor has made and the negative impact that it will have on public safety is without question one of the most alarming aspects of this mandate. And it just is. And I just hope the president understands that he has a chance to come back. He said, look, by forcing everyone, some people sitting on the sideline who were indifferent, just lazy. They got it. Okay, so the numbers went up. All right, fine. But at what cost? At what cost? I didn't get it. I like it. What if you're one of those people who actually had swelling of the heart and you now feel as though you're having a heart attack every time you exert yourself like a lot of these 20 year olds? I mean, we've all seen the video of these elite athletes. Uh, in high-level soccer leagues in particular, fall out of heart attacks because of this, mysteriously. And there is some after effects. Well, statistically, it's not likely to happen. But why are we even putting our risk there? And if I decide to get the vaccine, at least I could say I made my own decision. But now I'm doing it to keep my job. That's what makes it so awful. 
And that's why, especially when Joe, Man- when Joe Biden came out and said, we don't need to do it. Anthony Fauci talked about these vaccine mandates. And uh, he's the lead person I probably want to hear least from in the world. But I just want you to hear his mindset. Cut 12. I would prefer, and we all would prefer, that people would be voluntarily getting vaccinated. But if they're not going to do that, sometimes you've got to do things that are unpopular, but that clearly supersede individual choices. Really? Unpopular? I don't believe the stats. I don't believe they're, they're firm. Most of the stats that we get are of use are from Israel and Europe because we're doing a terrible job. He is never doing his job. He's either doing an interview, preparing for an interview, or speaking at a place like Harvard, which he was doing yesterday. But yet you have no stats on the durability of natural immunity. You have no stats on this, uh, the details on Omicron uh, variant. Here is uh, Senator John Tester. Even though he's a moderate, people say, at a red state, Montana, he keeps winning re-election. But at any tough vote, he always sides with the left. Not yesterday. Cut 14. Here he is with Neil. I've been vaccinated. My family's been vaccinated. My entire staff has been vaccinated. I believe that people need to go out and get vaccinated. But in the end, I've heard a lot uh, from my uh, businesses in the state of Montana. And and they've told me that, you know, it's put them in a heck of a bind. And so uh, I think they should have some relief. On the other side, there are other, like the health care folks that need to get vaccinated. I'm not opposed to that at all. In fact, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's common sense, Neil. Yeah. But she's not forcing it. it. Why is this hard to understand? You just don't want to force it. So the president of the United States, if he wants to start getting his numbers back, he will go out of his way to appear at a few precincts and go there and then speak to some DAs. I would call all the liberal DAs to the White House and I would say, listen, whatever you tended to do, I, I, maybe your heart was in the right place, that you felt people were being locked up too long and there were too many minorities in prisons. Whatever you thought that was. You've overcorrected in Oakland, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Philadelphia. My goodness, in Waukesha, you've overcorrected. I want this fixed or else the Democrats have no future locally or nationally. That would bring people together and then say the mandate's intention was to alarm people to make a decision. Many people made the decision I was hoping for. But I do think it's counterproductive to force local businesses, the federal government, uh, and these local—I no longer support the mandates for people against their will. Or I see 4% of the people having negative effects with the vaccine. I'm having trouble sleeping at night if I was the cause of that. Or focusing on mandating for 65 or over or people have underlying conditions and saying the mandates, it's full personal responsibility. That's my push, but not my demand. That would help us party. When we come back, I'll be on with Varney and Company. Don't forget, pick up the president of Freedom Fighter, BrianKilme.com. You can get it signed. It goes to my local bookstore over at Barnes & Noble. And I'm showing up Sunday and signing them all. Got 200 waiting for me. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, shortly I'm going to be joined. Uh, Stuart Varney's going to join our show and we'll join his show, and then I'll take calls after, after he hangs up with me. 1 866 408 7669. 
Uh, and then that's where we'll be discussing everything from what's going on with China, which I haven't really got into detail this hour, but I did it in an earlier hour. And it will be in the final hour, too, as well as the mandate mania and looking at the crime crisis in this country and the rebuilding of our Christmas tree, which is going to be taking place tonight at five after it was burned to the ground yesterday. Let's listen. Look who's here now. It is 1051 after all. And the man himself is here, Brian Kilmeade. OK, Brian, <laughs> you know what's coming at you right now? Hillary Clinton. She's back. Watch this, Brian. My fellow Americans, today you sent a message to the whole world. As hard as it might be to imagine, your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. She's reading the victory speech that she would have delivered in 2016 had she won. But, Brian, my question is this. Do you think she's running in 2024? And if she did run and it was a rematch with Donald Trump, who do you think wins? Uh, I don't think Hillary Clinton's even liked on the Democratic Party. I think uh, I think the Clintons are radioactive. If you look at the Epstein trial and see how Clinton's name keeps coming up, uh, you realize that he's not even popular in his own circles. His own foundation has fallen apart. Clearly, people were contributing, not because they liked and respected uh, Hillary and Bill. It's because it looked like she was ascending back to power. And when Barack Obama made her secretary of state, she looked like she was on the doorstep of becoming certainly the nominee and the president. So they didn't want to run away from the former president because, her, because his wife was about to be the next president. But now you see she has no real friends. They've all abandoned her. She sits there weeping about a loss in 2016, which is pathetic. I mean, we're looking at Bob Dole right now and his, the passing at the age of 98. Bob Dole lost a couple of times in run for president. He was a vice president. You know what he did? He went on David Letterman the next night and kidded around in a self-deprecating way how thoroughly he was beaten. John Kerry, whatever you want to say, he knew when he lost to Ohio, he lost the election. And, and, you know, Al Gore to this day thinks that they recounted every vote in Florida he would have won. His brother, Jeb Bush, was, was governor. So you could honestly say, well, if Jeb Bush wasn't governor of Florida and make something up in your head that you really won the election. But to the, their credit, they got over it. To her lack of credit, she didn't. Hubert Humphrey lost about three times for the election. Nixon lost once before he came back and redeemed himself. I wrote about Andrew Jackson losing to John Quincy Adams. He showed up at the, at the uh, inaugural and then came back and won again. Okay, so just, to me, just for, it's just pathetic. Just to entertain our audience, if it was a rematch, Hillary versus Trump, who do you think wins? Oh, I think that if, uh, if Trump eludes investigation, if nothing else comes up, I think he's running again, and I think he would. Yes. I think that he is in good shape to beat Biden and or Hillary Clinton if things stay somewhat the same as they are right now. If you see, uh, Hillary Clinton is a terrible campaigner. She's very bad one on one, which she is as a machine politician and a known name. She nobody really likes her. They just True. accept her, and she knows how. You know, she knows where the bodies are buried, so to speak. She knows how to do yeah. the job. But I don't think her decisions would be any good. Before we close it out, I want to ask you a completely different kind of question. You and I always often talk politics and sometimes sport. What about talking about investment? Are you an investor? Where do you put your money? Do you mind if I ask? Uh, well, I mean, I just I have uh, I have a financial planner. I take a certain amount of money out. They tell me roughly where he invests in. They ask me what my interests are early, and I just monitor it. I have to know what I'm good at. And what I'm good at, uh, if I was better at it, I'd be on your channel. Uh, so <laughs> that's why I don't really get heavily involved in that. But I would say this, you know, at, at this point, 
Uh, I'm more a a passbook savings guy because I don't trust anything anymore with the way we're running up debt. Brian Brian Kilmeade does not have his money in a bank passbook savings account. I'm sure if you've got a good financial plan... He's looking off to the side here. He's not sure where this thing's going. I know you're you're getting worried, but I am sure that a chunk of your money is in stocks. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, You're not wrong. Uh, You're not wrong. (laughs) But I'm not doing it because I am not you. I'm not doing that because I'm not an investor. You have to know what you're good at. Not many people say, Brian, my taxes are due. Would you help me with them? Uh, Not many people say, uh, how do I add this together? So you have to stay in the lane in which you you feel most comfortable. Bitcoin? You got any Bitcoin? Zero, because you've always told me to stay away from that. Oh, it's all my fault, I'm sure. Right. You're the one who always says you, you don't trust it, right? All right, Brian. We're all watching the relighting of the Christmas tree this afternoon. That's what we're looking forward to. And I know you've got a show to do, so I'll let you go. Brian, kill me, everybody. Go get him. KG Thanks, about it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. So listen, uh, what do I got? About a minute? I just want to go over this. Uh, the big story that is going to emerge once we get through this Russia crisis, let's say there's no invasion, is going to be China, especially with the Olympics coming up. Joining us now in the boycott, the diplomatic boycott, which they'll find personally insulting. So you got the U.S., the U.K., New Zealand, and Australia have all said, forget it, I'm not doing it. Canada also has joined us. And I think it's good, I mean, to show these delegations not showing up. I think it shows standing for something while not make, punishing the athletes. I'm not against it. What I am very aware of is what Marco Rubio is doing. Marco Rubio is standing up and speaking out about big business going into China and taking investment dollars and trying to maximize portfolios like we were just discussing by investing in China. But they happen to be our enemy. And that is why I think we have to make them accountable, especially if you are with J.P. Morgan or if you invest with, with uh, or follow Ray Dalio. Here's Marco Rubio on the problems with China. Cut 25. I mean, we've got large, very influential, powerful uh, organizations in our country in the business sector who rely on the ch- access to the Chinese market and production in China for their bottom line. I mean, it is, uh, it is for them uh, too valuable now to, to, to jeopardize. And I think that's true for the National Basketball Association. I think that's been true for, for Nike, for Apple, and a host of others. And, and that includes, I imagine, NBC as well with the coverage of the Olympic Games. I mean, if their coverage gets out of line, they could very well be barred from sending journalists there to cover an athletic competition. Yeah, that's true. Here's the bigger question. If NBC, who paid the money for the coverage to cover these games, is truly has a news division... They will talk about the Uyghurs. They will talk about who's manufacturing slave labor making X, Y, and Z company. And maybe talk to these companies about how you feel about sponsoring these Olympic Games. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Shannon Bream is queuing up, and Dave Ignatius at the bottom of the hour, columnist for the Washington Post. I want to get a perspective on what he's hearing with his incredible sources about the uh, Russia-Biden summit that took place virtually the other day. Uh, and what it means for the January January invasion of Ukraine, which I hear is happening. You know how costly it is to well 100,000 troops, even if it's close to your border? You know how costly that is? Would they be doing that if they didn't plan on invading? And what kind of 
compensation should they get and would they get, if any? And the president would think, uh, is meeting with the Ukrainian leader right now or later on today. He just left Bob Dole's memorial service. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Communist Party is celebrating its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. And, <laughs> and I'll, ma- I'll make you bet we last longer. <laughs> I can't say that in China. <laughs> they probably are listening anyway. He later apologized they were. China, American businesses are selling their soul and how their abhorrent human rights record as more nations joining our diplomatic Olympic boycott. Number two. What about private businesses? Private businesses, no, and I'll tell you the reason why. If there's 100 employees or more, and that's all it affects, they've done something right. And I don't think the government has to make every decision for the private sector. You know, you've been doing quite well without it. I hear you, mandate mania. Even Dems are beginning to sober up to the realities of the Biden breaking his word on the vaccine mandates. It's costing people their jobs, as predicted. They are coming now for your kids to keep them out of the theater, gyms, as well as... uh, Restaurants. Plus, the Omicron scare tactic further fuels the distrust with the masses. Number one. Keeping New Yorkers safe, bringing the city back, that's the mission. A recovery for all of us. Now, we are one of the safest places in America right now when it comes to COVID. And we are also, as we have been for a long, long time, the safest big city in America. Coming crisis, sponsored by Progressive, sub-sponsored the squad, piloted by Joe Biden, is affecting every major city in America. And by the way, this is not a safe city that the mayor of New York is talking about. You commit the crime and do not do the time, plus defaming and defunding the cops. You combine both, it's a poisonous mix. With me right now is anything but, even though he's called, she's called evil by Greg Gutfeld every night as he tosses to her uh, when she takes over Fox News at night. Shannon Bream joins us now. Hey, Shannon. Good morning. And listen, consider the source, right? Right. He's not the news person. Now, if Brett Baer was doing that, I might have, have to really, yeah, it might, you <laughs> might be evil. Brett and I have offices literally right next door to each other, so I'd go have a chat with him. Right. So you like him better than Gutfeld? No, no, no. I'm just saying he might be more factually accurate right. on his assessment of me. Oh, okay, fine. We'll go with that. So, Shannon, <laughs> I, I, was, I thought I dreamed it, but I had one of those uh, late book events and I went to bed. Yeah. I even at eleven o'clock I had trouble sleeping. And I guess I somehow subliminally heard you say, I believe we're going to uh, we're going to Fox headquarters in New York and there's a fire. The Christmas tree's on fire. What mm-hmm. were they saying in your ear? What did you think oh when goodness. you saw it? Well, you know, uh, that's a shot that we can see. There are cameras everywhere, so we could see that. And all of a sudden, my executive producer gets in my ear, and she says, it's on fire, it's on fire. And I'm talking to a guest or doing something, so I can't actually stop and say to her, what's on fire? (laughs) So we went to a commercial, and then she told me what was going on during the commercial, and we could not believe what we were seeing. I mean, the the whole thing up in flames very quickly. um, You know, the fire department, the best, they were there and had this thing under control. Within your show? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Within you saw the minutes. fire trucks come in your show? We did. We saw the hoses out and the and the water gushing and these guys getting it under control, doing what they do best. So what were you thinking when you were watching this? Were you worried well, it was going to catch the building? 
Yeah, I kept thinking. I know it. I, you know, I know spatially it's it's far enough away from the building. But my thought was, is it an accident or not? You know, it was happening so quickly then, and we didn't know um, that there was a person involved in this and responsible. And you're thinking, okay, this display has a ton of lights. It's beautiful. There are a lot of electronics there. I, you know, I'm trying to keep my uh, you know open mind about exactly what was happening there. But that was the first thing I was thinking. But yeah, I was thinking, how close is this? to the building. I didn't think that flames could jump over, but it's not a good sight to see. I heard the whole first floor was overrun with smoke, too. So it was going right through the revolving doors. It was a doors. huge fire. Right. Yeah. So you're thinking, I don't know if this is an anti-Fox person. It turns out the mm-hmm. guy is just some deranged lunatic. And how do you feel about the fact that arson isn't enough to keep you in jail? Right. Because now what I'm told uh, is that he's back out again and that he had been causing trouble around town with other issues. And, you know, people will have this argument about should we be incarcerating those who are mentally ill and have problems? You know, that's a whole different conversation. If somebody's committing crimes at that level um, and knows they're going to get out the next day, I mean, how can we expect this lawlessness to stop. I mean, people who can think straight and people who can't think straight, if they know there aren't going to be any consequences for their criminal activity, that sends a very clear message. By the way, he's being probed to see if he was involved and whether he was going to strike the 30 Rock uh, tree as well. That's a live tree, and that's overlooking the skating rink right next to 30 Rock, and there's so many people there. There's no cars that go through there anymore. It's all walking. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah. uh, this I mean, guy. I'd definitely be watching the tree very closely. Yeah, well, but by the way, tonight they're going to relight it. Nothing's stopping this guy from going back there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, our security is amazing, as you know. At Fox, NYPD is amazing, uh, and they've had to step into a lot of situations that have been kind of scary for us. So um, I have great confidence in them. But again, you know, if this guy isn't thinking straight and he feels like that was fun, and twenty-four less than twenty-four hours later, I'm out. Um, I don't know how we think that that stops somebody who would have been bold enough to do this. Understood. So I want to bring you to the mandate mania and the significance of this. Joe Manchin, speaking at the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago, saying this about mandates, sounding a lot like a Republican. He would join another Democrat, and they would Republicans have voted now to uh, stop the mandates. It goes to the House, but Nancy Pelosi won't pick it up as of now. Cut 13. What about private businesses? Private businesses, no, and I'll tell you the reason why. If there's 100 employees or more, and that's all it affects, they've done something right. I don't think they're going to give up their market shares or subject their employees and lose their customers' base because of not making good decisions. And I don't think the government has to make every decision for the private sector. You know, you've been doing quite well without it. Is there a better approach than a mandate that the government I've always said incentivize, don't penalize. It's true. What would Joe Manchin is saving the country. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely standing as uh, a block against some of the more aggressive things that this administration would like to do fiscally and when it comes to things like these mandates. Listen, they're not doing well in court. These federal mandates are having a real struggle to try to get any traction uh, and move ahead. And I do think it's this concept of months ago we were told by many people in in the administration, including the president, like, you know, you can't force people. Mandates aren't going to work. You know, Dr. Fauci said that. uh, Dr. Walensky said that. There have been a number Speaker Pelosi said that. So I think that um, when they pronounce ahead of time that there are things they think they can't do, but they're going to try it anyway, they're, they got to expect they're going to have headwinds. And even, yeah, within their own party for people who are more moderate, like Manchin, like Tester. So um, I want to bring you to the court case. you got that lawyer background. You have this certificate. You tell everyone you're a lawyer wherever you go. So it went on I, TV. Yes, you do say it on TV. So uh, the Jesse Smollett trial, 
Uh, this is not exactly a nail biter. The guy made up the entire story. Uh, it is total fiction. Nobody believes it. But Black Lives Matter came out with a statement, and it's long. As abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community because we got us. So let's be clear. We love everybody in our community. It's not about a trial or a verdict deciding the supremacist charade. It's about how we treat our community when corrupt systems are working to devalue their lives. In an abolitionist society, this trial will be taking place, which is already taking place. Um, he goes, uh, communities would not have to fight and suffer to prove our worth. Instead, we find ourselves once again being forced to put our lives and our value in the hands of judges and juries operating in a system that is designed to oppress us. They go on. Black Lives Matter will continue to work towards the abolition of police and every unjust system. We will bring. We will continue to love and protect one another and wrap our arms around those who do work to usher in black freedom and, by extension, freedom for everyone else. So Black Lives Matter has the back of a guy that accused two Nigerians of trying to beat him up and mug him because he was black and, and being pro-MAGA. I mean, the story is implausible. It's farcical. It should have had a laugh track in his testimony. Where do you, what is this? Is this going to take two minutes or three minutes for the jury to return? And there will be outrage in the black community tonight when you're on your show. Well, listen, I think that the prosecutors did a great job in their closing arguments, as so detailed by our wonderful Matt Finn, who's there reporting. Um, uh, just, you know, concrete fact after concrete fact that really call his story into question, um, including the fact that there was a criminal complaint. The police had the Osendario brothers in custody. They asked him to sign this complaint. Now, you're the victim, you say, of a hate crime, and you won't sign the criminal complaint. That's weird, right? I mean, if you're saying, like, oh, you got the guys, and this is, you know, these people came after me, and I feel victimized, how in the world, as a crime victim, do you not sign that complaint? or the affidavit that goes with it. I mean, that to me is one of the most telling things. I think what's interesting now is there's this conversation about whether he's going to face perjury charges if he's convicted. And those are more serious. They actually would carry more jail time um, if he is convicted and a prosecutor feels like it's necessary to make, um, you know, an example out of him. I mean, certainly something that when you get to sentencing, you got to think the judge is going to be thinking about potentially did this guy not only lie to the police department and waste tons of, you know, detective hours and man hours and resources, but then came and made us have this whole trial and wasted all this time in the court system. So um, we'll see. You know it's tough because uh, it's, you know, you, you plant reasonable doubt with a juror or two, um, and if they're really stubborn, you can have an issue. But I really don't think it will take the jury very long. We're at a bit of a disadvantage here because, like with Kyle Rittenhouse, we watched every second of that trial. I think it's very helpful to see exactly what the defense and the prosecution have and to hear the testimony for yourself. Some of the prominent trials out there right now, including Jesse Smollett, it's not televised. So we're not seeing every nuance, every bit of body language, everything that the jury is seeing. Right. Uh, But this cannot stand. If one juror is not paying attention and tries to hold his or her ground on this, do you see that? I mean, it's hard to predict a jury, but there's no way any of this story, any of this story is true. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, it's, 
it's very difficult to go along with the version and multiple versions that Mr. Smollett has had about some of this stuff. But you heard what his defense attorney said yesterday. This is not an easy case. We need you to stand up uh, for the Constitution, essentially. He said, you know, I, I'm asking you to do something that's very difficult um, to the jurors. You know, I can't speak to you again now that they're going to deliberations, but I need some people who are willing to stand. So, you know, he's given them the best charge that he can with what he's got. Jonathan Turley, who is amazing at these things, too, said yesterday, I don't even think that um, Smollett is trying to convince the jury that he's not guilty. <laughs> he's sort of like, I'm guilty, but I'm oppressed, and the system is against me, sort of like the Black Lives Matter statement. And so do the right thing and say no to the system. Um, so we'll see which, which line of reasoning they buy. So Leo Terrell, who's a lawyer, but he's changed, hence the hat, 2.0. said 2.0. this, cut 11. This Black Lives Matter nonsense is nonsense. They carry no weight, and you cannot trust the police. You cannot trust black police officers, black chief of police. You can't trust the police. That race card has left the station 50 years ago. You got diversity in all these Democratic cities with black mayors, black police chiefs, black officers. Black Lives Matter has no credibility, and what they're doing right now is further trying to distract what the issue here. Jesse Smollett lost to the American public. A black man lied about being attacked. And what black lies will do is throw him a lifeline. Well, I got news for you. He's going to sink because that jury should do the right thing. Find him guilty. And by the way, how do you, okay, first your thought about Leo is he's a lawyer too, like you? Yes, absolutely. He is an even finer and better and certainly more energetic lawyer <laughs> <laughs> than I am. Well, how, how do you give money to Black Lives Matter when there's such part, uh, such uh, there's such a fringe group with uh, with uh, incendiary statements, formal statements well, written. I mean, how does that end up on the side of an NBA court? Yeah, and I think that um, early on, listen, people, I think, had good intentions, and they wanted to be about justice and doing what is right. Um, I think, though, over time, what a number of people, individual donors and corporations have seen, like, whoa, maybe I don't agree with everything that this group is doing. In fact, you've had people who were supposed to benefit from Black Lives Matter, different families and crime victims and stuff, step up and say, they do not speak for me. I don't know what's going on with this organization. This is not what I signed up for. Um, And they're expressing grave concerns about what actually has gone on with the money that's been raised um, and some of the ideology as well. Uh, Shannon, who do you have on tonight? No, no rush. I mean, you, you have six hours. Um, I should think about this before, <laughs> before I talk to you because I actually do have the list, but I don't know where it is. Not right with now. you. You know, Not and, with me, um, but it's going to be spectacular. I have no doubt about that. You have an, uh, an Apple Watch? Maybe you can, I if it's don't. on your phone, you could ring your phone? I don't. Um, is it like find your phone? It'd be find yeah. your guests. Something like that. <laughs> there if you be hold a- on long enough, give me one second, I can tell you. Okay, here we go. Um, oh, Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan is on with us tonight. Also, Aaron Siri, who is the leading vaccine uh, attorney, and he's going to talk to us about why the FDA needs 75 years before they'll turn over their data on the Pfizer um, uh, vaccine. Why is and that? we've got a couple of amazing attorneys who are going to do night court. And then Professor Wilfred Riley, if you guys know him, he actually wrote the book, Hate Crime Hoax. Um, he's a super interesting guy, and if we get a verdict tonight in the Smollett case, you will hear from him. I just did his podcast yesterday. It's Cut the he's Bull so Podcast. Great. He is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there you really go. Good. I actually gave you some answers this time. You did. Uh, thank you, Shannon. You can really, when I give you enough time, you do know how to promote yourself. I Listen, I just <laughs> I, with the best of them, right? All right, and Chad, thanks for having me on for my book. I appreciate it. 
I loved it. Congratulations. I saw it's on the bestseller list again this week. You're unstoppable. All right. Thank you so much. Shannon Bream, thank you. Uh, and good luck on your show tonight. Uh, meanwhile, coming up next to you, one 408 7669 from California to South Bend to Georgia. I'll get to all your calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, one of the most learned people on international relations, columnist for The Washington Post, Dave Ignatius Live. Man, this is a good show. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have set a path for ourselves, turn around the criminal legal system in this country in a way that will become more humane, more equitable, and above all, will create a safer environment for all of us. We've all seen the spate of smash and grab robberies. LA residents are being robbed and assaulted when they're out shopping. They're being robbed and assaulted when they get home on their doorsteps. To what extent do you and your policies bear any responsibility for that? Well, actually, none. Most crime is down, uh, but for homicides. Yeah, but for homicides, except for those brutal murders and the smash and grabs, most crime is down. Really? Maybe the bad bad people that are actually in jail or processed, perhaps, let alone your cops who have been defunded and demoralized. That is the attorney general that's got the district attorney that's got to be recalled. It's got to be an emergency meeting that Joe Biden calls. David, listening on the stream, I guess— Oh, uh, watching on the stream, the the uh, Fox Nation stream. What's on your mind in Los Angeles? Yeah, you know, you brought up the Black Lives Matter, and this isn't a call I wanted to make, but I feel it needs to be said. Any goodwill Black Lives Matter had with the American people, even if you didn't like the movement per se, but, gee, I like the spirit of Black Lives Matter, that's out the window, man. I know. They're getting behind Jesse Smollett. He blamed white people and Trump voters, and look what he did, and, and all the smashing grass. So, so then because of George Floyd, this Black Lives Matter. So now cut to today, they, they reduced the laws and made stealing legal. I'm out here in Los Angeles and the smash and grabs. And we got a security guard, a black security guard that was killed in these smash and grabs, which is just as bad as George Floyd. Yeah, but Jesse Sometz is more important. You're right. People wanted to help. They gave their money and they feel like they've been had after statements like that. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He also told President Putin there's another option, de-escalation and diplomacy. The United States and our European allies would engage in a discussion that covers larger strategic issues, including our strategic concerns with Russia and Russia's strategic concerns. I will look you in the eye and tell you, as President Biden looked President Putin in the eye and told him today, that things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now. 
And he was there. Uh, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, talking about the virtual summit meeting between President Biden and uh, Vladimir Putin a uh, couple of days ago, yesterday, rather. And we just don't know exactly what happened. But an interesting perspective, probably the best column I've uh, I've read about all this. Each sentence was enlightening. Dave Ignatius of The Washington Post rejoins the show. Dave, always great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Brian. So I just wonder, with all your sources, what do you think took place yesterday? We saw the pleasantries and then not much else. So I think we got a fairly good readout of the basics. I think Biden delivered a message that the level of economic sanctions that would follow Russian invasion would be, as the readout said, beyond anything the U.S. has imposed in the past, beyond what we did in 2014. Uh, from what I know, the discussion ranges all the way up to, but is not yet c- concluded, uh, the cutting Russia off from the SWIFT international payment system, which would cripple their economy. Uh, I think they also have warned Putin that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline would be dead. It hasn't started shipping gas yet, but that would be over. So I think the basic message that has been delivered since CIA Director Bill Burns went to Moscow at the beginning of November is your economy will suffer severe damage if you do this. The Russians don't seem to have gotten the message yet, but I think that was the key thing that was that was done. I think uh, uh, Biden also wants to offer a diplomatic off-ramp. I don't think that's crazy here. This is a dangerous uh, uh, confrontation. If we can do that without sacrificing any of the basics, not exceeding the Russian demand that Ukraine never join NATO, et cetera, uh, I think diplomacy uh, always is worth exploring. Absolutely. And I don't really think that we're looking to go and get into a pitch battle with Russia. I don't think many people were thinking that. But what we would do the back to Ukrainians, you bring up the fact that this would not be easy. Yeah, Russia is more powerful, but the Ukrainians can fight and this would not this would be messy. And do you really think that the uh, the Russia wants a messy battle with Ukraine right now? I think Putin would be unwise if he chose this option, Brian. Uh, if you look at public opinion polling in Russia, and it still exists pretty good. Uh, the Russians are very split uh, on whether it makes sense to intervene on behalf of Russian-speaking separatists in Ukraine. Putin is passionate about it. It's almost a religious intensity for him. But that's not true, according to polls, for Russians themselves. So if they suffered real casualties in Ukraine, as they would, as I wrote, this would not be a cakewalk. Putin would have political problems at, at home, I think. Another point that people don't think about much Ukrainians uh, are pretty united in resisting uh, Russian intervention. In the far east, there there are some people who support support this, but there are not many of them. Uh, And uh, the chance of a partisan war, a kind of guerrilla war, to combat the Russians is real. All the Ukrainian uh, sources I talk to say there are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who've had military training or in militias. Uh, uh, guns in private hands are very widespread in Ukraine. There are over a million weapons. So these people are armed. They'll resist. And Putin would have one hell of a fight on his hands. And why do you think, you know, he he takes uh, Crimea and then he takes these areas with these so-called, you know, Russian mercenaries and he holds these areas. And he's like, just like he's got a, a section of Georgia today. What? Why now? Like, what is it about the the Ukrainian situation that makes Putin feel more insecure now about NATO's presence in the area? 
he wrote an essay last summer, uh, Brian, uh, in which he said that um, Ukraine is Russia, that they're indissoluble. I mean, he's never gotten over the breakup of the Soviet Union, as we know, but the, the heart of that is, is Ukraine. I think he would like, uh, in the time that he's president, in some way to reunite the countries, maybe not formally, but, but neuter an independent Ukraine. So, the, so that's a, a, a priority for him. I, I have to be honest, I think he also looks at America's political divisions. Uh, we have a political system that just isn't working very well, whichever side of the fence you're on. Um, and he sees us as weak, and he says, "This is this is my time to go for it." Uh, so I think it's I think it's um, uh, I think he's a genuinely reckless person, uh, and, and it's imp- if, if ever this there was a moment to unite and deter a potential adversary, this is it. David, so interesting. You said he's reckless because it, things seem to have worked out for him. Remember, they said Assad must go. You know, President Obama at the UN, Assad must go, and he decides to put his military in there and prop up Assad. Assad's still in power. In Georgia, he sent his troops in there. He was able to survive any sanctions we laid there during the the Bush years, and he's still there. And then in the Ukraine, he is uh he lost his stooge and in comes uh and it, and the they have elections and they put a guy in power and now Zelensky's in power and he's still got a presence there and he's still got Crimea. So, isn't aren't things working out for him? Uh, you know, they are on one level. He hasn't gotten much out of the intervention in Syria. Syria is a mess. Russia would love for, to be relieved of that. Um, on his border with Ukraine, he's got another mess uh, that uh, I mean, he, he has succeeded in uniting the Ukrainian people in the city of Kharkiv, which is just across the border from Russia. Feelings are as strongly anti-Russian as they are in Kiev, which is the capital in the west of the country, I mean, people don't like Putin. So uh, be careful about assuming that he's on a roll. He, he, he isn't. He he keeps doing things that defy norms. The, the most striking example was this anti-satellite test where he blew up a Russian satellite, created a huge debris field in space, so dangerous that they had to move the International Space Station that has Russians aboard. I mean, he endangered his own Russian cosmonauts by doing this. He'd been warned again and again by the U.S., do not do this, and he did it anyway. Why? I think it's because he wants to show that he, you know, he's prepared to do anything. Uh, he, he is a genuinely reckless uh, person. So that's why I think it's time for unity. I'm really glad Biden's talking to our European allies. They're taking it seriously. French uh, fighter jets yesterday were over the Black Sea. They were intercepted by Russians. So the French, not always the most combative, are in this with us and, and, and making a show of force, too. That's good. I agree with you. So you brought, I just want you to uh, to play out for everyone who didn't read your column about the swift system of the swift system of international payments. We took Iran off it, and they really haven't recovered. And if Russia is taking off the swift uh, international payment system, they'd have an ally in China. But you say it would maybe make Russia feel good, but it should make China very nervous. Can you can you play that out for us? So China's fear, I think, is that they really are going to be isolated. We talk about a decoupling between the U.S. and China. So long as China manages to hold on to European outlets for its trade, outlets in Asia, China thinks, okay, that's all right. But if, if Russia invades another country and turns to China, it's only real, meaningful ally, it in a sense backs China into Russia's corner. And I think it leads to China's isolation and strengthens the idea that 
the democratic countries are going to unite uh, in terms of technology sharing, in terms of military cooperation. I love AUKUS, this new alliance between the U.S., uh, Australia, and Britain. I think it's great. I, I love the, the quad. India and, and Japan. I mean, India and Japan are great. We have one thing going for us that, you know, the Russians and Chinese don't, which is we have great allies. The Japanese increasingly want to stand up for, you know, with America, be our partner. Same thing with the Indians. So, you know, I think all those trends would accelerate if Putin was was reckless enough to invade. I think he'd be pushed toward Beijing, and I think it'd make the Chinese nervous. I mean, you know, Putin is not really Xi Jinping's kind of guy. Right, uh, it's a mar- it's a alliance of convenience. So it is. I, I, it is. I was shocked to see a lot smarter. I, I was shocked to see this move. India, despite our objections, executed a continued their defense agreement with Russia, including taking their S four hundred missile defense system. I thought to myself, why would why would they do that? Um, are they still you know, trying to play both sides? A little bit, and I, you know, it's always been a, a I think a, a vice. The Indians used to be close. Allies during the Cold War with with Russia get all their military equipment from Russia. They're they're moving away from that. India knows its future technologically, economically is tied with the U.S. This S four hundred deal bothered me as mu- as much as it did you. I, you know, I think of Turkey, a member of NATO, is buying these Russian. What's what's that about? But uh, you know, I, I I know we we were upset by that. Um, for some reason, the Indians like to have this idea that they maintain the degree of, of non-alignment as they did in the old days. But the quad is changing that. Gotcha. Um, a couple other things out there now. Number one, with uh, I love that President Biden is getting together with these 100 democracies, and I love that it bothers China. And they're going to have this meeting. I guess it's going to be tomorrow. I think that was our initiative, correct? Can you put that in context? Yeah, so it, it's, it is an initiative that Biden has had since he came in. I agree with you. It's really a good thing. You know, we, we worry that this is the march of the authoritarians, and we got we got to stop it. And so this is a, a good effort to do it. I love the fact that Taiwan was invited. I just I think that's great. I mean, people in Taiwan, I visited there. I don't know if you're sure you have. They love democracy. You know, they they don't want to live in a system like China's. And I, you know, they they remind me Chinese people want to be free, just like just like everybody does. So uh, I think this alliance democracies is a, is a good idea. Um, I, I think um, it, it, we, we, need to, we need to be a good functioning democracy ourselves. We need to somehow make, make Congress work again for the American people. I mean, I, it bugs, bugs me. I know it bugs you too. Somehow down the road, that's got to begin to work better. So people look to America and they say, yeah, that, it does work. It's like that's the system that we want to live by. Uh, you know, we don't want to have look like uh, look like a, a, a car wreck here in America. That would be bad. Right. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, you know, in that picture, so I'm doing this book tour now, and I'm talking to so many people. I've had about 15 stops, and I think that the future of our country is center left or center right. We got to get off this. My guy wins, or your woman wins, I lose. It's got to be okay. I listen to the way Joe Manchin like has been navigating. And if Joe Manchin was to win an election, there wouldn't be a mass depression on the Republican side. And if there was someone center-right, like Portman, that let's say won the president, there wouldn't be mass, you know, mass hysteria on the left. I think the future of our country will be a leader that doesn't hate the other side or doesn't create that division if they could ever get nominated. Am I dreaming? 
Well, I hope you're not dreaming. You, you said it just right. That's, that's kind of uh, exactly the way I look at this. My hope was that, the, that Joe Biden was getting elected as a centrist. I mean, that's the way he campaigned. Certainly in the Democratic Party, he was the most uh, you know, centrist of them. He has a record of having good relations across the aisle with Republicans in the, in the Senate. I think he's been pulled left by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party more than he should have been. Right. I think it's weak, weakened his presidency. I hope he realizes that and you know goes back to being the person the country elected. But, uh, you know, I, I think the, 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 the right space, the winning space for the country is that space in the broad middle where most people are. Most people are not on the extreme wings, and they just aren't. Uh, you know that. I know that. But so, so somehow we have to have leadership that reflects that. And once we have really good leaders that speak to the whole country, a lot of our problems are just going to, I think, that I agree. I agree. There, but, and so it, we, we have to. We, a whole, we need that person. I know. But I know we have to do a whole segment on Afghanistan because, I, I mean, I even though you've been there a million times uh, and you can, you can actually, you know, the roads. I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. Because of the way we left, I think this is one of the worst military executed maneuvers in the history of our nation, maybe the worst, and we're still paying the price. But I want to bring it to end off on China. On 60 Minutes, they did this feature. I'm sure you saw it. And they talk about China moving away from capitalism. Here's Matt Pottinger, an economist from, I think, Hoover, uh, Kiyu Jin, Cut 28. What's he saying in terms of capitalism? What he said in one of his most important speeches... He said, we will see to it in this long struggle that capitalism dies out in the world and that his vision of socialism prevails. China grew really lawlessly, chaotically in the last 40 years. And that's all about to change. Is Xi Jinping killing off capitalism in China? President Xi envisions what he calls a modern socialist economy for China, a much more restricted capitalism President Xi is with the people. He is so, with the peasants, the middle class, and unlike the, his predecessors, he doesn't really care so much about what happens to the elites. So she is speaking almost from the London School of Economics, almost like a seems to me a mouthpiece of China. And Matt Pottinger used to have that role with the Trump administration, says they're moving away from capitalism and they're taking over these private industries and companies, hence Jack Ma. And he was brought up as an example. How does Dave Ignatius view it? So I think if if she is stupid enough to really kill off the successful market entrepreneurs in the Chinese economy who built this amazing prosperity, I mean, you know, uh, Deng Xiaoping said it's a good thing to be rich, and man, Chinese, when they they went after it and they built a very dynamic modern economy. If she really uh, puts that in reverse. That's the best thing that could happen to the U.S. I mean, you know, he, he, she yeah. is a very talented, very talented guy. But if he kills capitalism, he's going to kill China, China's economic future. I mean, in a weird way, we should be rooting for Xi to, to go ahead and, you know, shut down all the Internet entrepreneurs like Jack Ma because the repercussions of that for China will be very negative for them, very positive for us. Yeah. I, I mean, I, in the end, I don't think it's going to continue. Yeah, we'll see. He does have one trend is towards more control. Dave Ignatius, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. Have a great holiday. If I don't talk to you again, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back to wrap up this hour. Don't move.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've met little boys and girls who didn't understand why a woman has never been president before. Now they know, and the world knows, that in America, every boy and every girl can grow up to be whatever they dream, even president of the United States. And as hard as it might be to imagine, <laughs> your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. <laughs> I can't believe that she's crying at the masterclass. By the way, I hear that pays well. That People say, why did she do it? It does pay well. So I'm serious. It does. They pay you. And Carl Rove did it with a few other people. Uh, but to cry for 2016 when you legitimately lost, everybody knows it. She has no friends. Uh, just quick thank you to everybody who's keeping uh, President Freedom Fighter on top 10 list in the country. It moved up a slot, now number eight. Uh, and I appreciate I love seeing everybody in person. And I'm going to go back at it. I'm going to go back on the road today. And I'm going to be in Fort Worth uh, tonight signing at the American Gardens. I want you to meet me there, especially if you're listening online. Tyler, Texas on the 10th, December 10th. I'll be at the Texas Music City. Then I'll pick up stakes and go to Longview, Texas, also on Friday. Two appearances in one day at Longview Mall. Then Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG listeners, I hope you to be there. We have a great affiliate in Oklahoma City. I'll be there Saturday afternoon. Uh, and then Newtown, Pennsylvania on Tuesday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.